Hello, everyone. My name is Glenn Blakeney. It's an honor for me to be with you guys, to be part of Winter Camp. Uh, what an amazing topic to pursue and to recover all. You know, I love that story in, in uh, David's life and how David uh, pursued and overtook and he recovered all that had been taken from him. You know, one of the things that I believe regarding God's promises is that every time we read or we encounter a, a problem in life, God's word shows us clearly a promise to take care of our problem. But I also believe there's a process involved. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 7, that the children of Israel, they had witnessed, they saw the mighty acts of God, but only Moses knew his ways. It's not enough to just say, hey, I believe God can do this. But we need to understand the ways of the Lord. We need to understand what we need to do in order to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and the specific counsel that we need from heaven to be able to see his kingdom come and his will be done here on the earth. And so I've been praying about what to share. And one of the things that the Lord has put on my heart basically from the beginning of the pandemic is the need for us as a people of God to really go back and to align ourselves with the biblical foundation, the New Testament pattern, which is built on the foundations of the apostolic and prophetic. Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, it says that God has set in the church, first of all, apostles, and secondarily, prophets, thirdly, teachers, and so on. So this whole thing about the apostolic and prophetic, I believe, is very powerful. And I believe the church has embraced, to a certain degree, uh, not every every church, not every segment of Christianity, but those who believe in fivefold ministry has embraced to a certain degree the the office of the apostle and the prophet, but there's still so much more the Lord wants to do. And I think that we're in a season clearly where things are being shaken. And, and I was reading out of um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 through 29, in the Passion Translation, I just want you to listen to this for a moment. We are in a time when the earth is being shaken because God is speaking once again. Even as he spoke to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, I believe God is speaking prophetically today to the body of Christ. And here's what it says. It says, the earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain. But now he has promised once and for all, I will not only shake the systems of the world... Listen to this. But I will also shake the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Now this phrase, once and for all, clearly indicates the final removal of things that are shaking. That is the old order. The old order. So only what is unshakable will remain. And then he continues to talk about since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer to God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is a holy, devouring fire. So he speaks about a shaking that will take place, a final shaking, that he says not only will shake the systems of the world, but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. And it's interesting, if you read the message, which is a paraphrase, 
It actually says there's going to be one last shaking, which means a thorough house cleaning. Listen to this. A thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. God is doing something in this season. He's recalibrating the church back to our New Testament apostolic and prophetic foundation so that we can build properly, that we can build something that will last, something that will really uh, have an impact in the world in which we live. You know, there's many places in the world today where Christianity has been there for hundreds of years, but there's been very little change. Some of our nations, we've actually seen a regression. You know, we've had less people coming to church. Crime is increasing. You know, poverty is still very much a reality. But yet, we have more Christians than ever before. The Bible talks about this in 2 Timothy 3.5. It talks about how there would be in the last days a form of godliness that denies the power. There's no power. They have no transforming power in the message in which they herald, you know, in the system in which they, they espouse and, and uphold. And so when we go back to the New Testament, we see that that's clearly not the case. Remember in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, it says that when Paul came to a city, they would often cry out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What a powerful testimony that they shook the world in their day. And, you know, in actuality, they were turning things right side up, but they perceived that as being turned upside down. And there's a lot of things that are being turned on their head right now. You know, the world is, is seeing shaken, uh, a shaking economically, politically, and there's so much instability in the world in which we live. And yet, even in the church, we're seeing this, especially during COVID-19, there's been this reset. There's been a need to kind of revisit how have we been doing ministry? Have we really been executing our ministry in accordance with the new testament pattern and way of doing ministry because i believe the answer to that is clearly by and large no we need to take a look at ourselves there needs to be some introspection and there needs to be some evaluation are we really building on the right foundation and in this time when nations are closed and many of us are not able to go and visit uh, other nations and preach this gospel. And in places in the world, many places in the world, there's still churches are not assembling. You know, and people are, are in lockdown and in other parts of the world still. And as we, we, we read the statistics, like the Barna Research Group is saying that 20 to 30% of those that attended church regularly before COVID-19 are not coming back ever. Not coming back ever. What a terrible report to hear. And so much in the church is being shaken because it's predicated and, and built on the traditions of men and not the principles of God's kingdom. You know, Jesus dealt with that in his day, the traditions of men among the Pharisees. In Mark 7, 13, he said, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down. Then elsewhere, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 13, he said, you Pharisees, you teachers of the religious law, you are hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves 
and you won't let others enter either. What a terrible thing. What is happening in the church today? What is going on? What should our response be? Well, we see there's been a shift in recent years. You know, to the, the church is growing in many parts of the world. We, we hear that the church has really gone south. The southern hemispheres is where the gospel is really advancing right now. But in the west, it seems to be there's significant decline in the church today. But I really believe this isn't necessarily just solely because, well, people are not interested in, in spiritual things. Conversely, the opposite. People, even in our Western nations, are more open to spiritual things today, I believe, than ever before. And so the, in, the, the problem here isn't so much that people aren't interested, even in, in Jesus Christ. There is an interest in Jesus Christ. But the issue is there has been a decline of interest in the institutional church today. But I believe the harvest is still ripe. I believe there is still a great opportunity to see many people come into the kingdom. Jesus said in his days that the harvest is great, the workers are few. And as we look around today, I believe this is true. You can say we have X amount of missionaries. We have so many pastors today. But the truth is, we don't have enough workers. Because it's the Lord's intention that each and every one of us would be engaged in reaping the harvest. This is found throughout the New Testament. I want to share some principles to us with us today that really challenge us to go back and build upon the New Testament blueprint and foundations. You know, the current model of doing church. You know, for many, many years, we've been coming to church, but now it's time for us to really start becoming the church. There's a big difference. People come, they sit passively, you know, and we know there's been a decline in church attendance as well. People used to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, it was a regular thing. And now today, people don't even come on Sunday morning regularly. People come every couple of weeks, maybe once a month. And there's many things that contribute to that. I get that. But the bottom line is that the commitment threshold has certainly been lowered. So we are in a time, we are in a season where I really believe God is calling us to raise the bar, not to compromise, not to say to people, we understand it, just do what you can when you can. But we need to challenge people, but we need to bring them into an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ and teach them what it means to be an apostolic people. See, God isn't just wanting to raise up more apostles. But he's wanting to raise up an apostolic church. And when you read the book of Acts, you see an apostolic church. This was a people who clearly understood that they had a purpose. They had a destiny. They had a mission. That they were to be part of advancing the kingdom of God on the earth in their day. To make sure that the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I believe that the Lord is wanting to raise up an apostolic people today. That will bring the righteousness and the resources of the kingdom of heaven to the earth. Extending it literally into every nook and cranny throughout the earth. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all the nations throughout the world. And then the end will come. That particular term in the Greek language, nations, ethnos, speaks of ethnic or people groups. You know, we, we look at statistics today. The, the uh, Olympics speak of over 200 nations. 
and uh, the United Nations espouse 175 nations. But yet this word, ethnos, pantata ethne in Greek, literally speaks of ethnic groups. Do you know there are over 17,000 ethnic groups in the world today? And 6,900 or so are still considered unreached people groups. There's so many people. In the United States alone, there's over 250 different unreached people groups. So we must recognize that the heart of the Father is that every person everywhere would be reached with the gospel of the kingdom. And so to do that, we need to shift into an apostolic mode of ministry. The word apostolic literally just means to be sent forth. And it really has to do with being sent forth on official business, you know, uh, from a government on being, being given a mandate, a charge, a mission. And when we look at this term apostle, it is actually a secular term before Jesus spoke of it, before the apostles themselves in the New Testament used this word in their writings. This term was borrowed from the Roman Empire and it was used of an, a person who was an apostle, like an ambassador, who would be sent by the Roman emperor to represent and cultivate the culture of the empire within a newly conquered province over which he presided. The word literally means sent one, apostolos, one who has been sent carrying the orders of another with the authority of the one who sent them. So you could imagine how important these imperial ambassadors would be in establishing the culture of this newly occupied land. So the Roman culture was being enacted and espoused throughout this land. He would be sent into a territory after it was conquered, and there would be a team that would come with the apostle, educators, philosophers, um, craftsmen, artisans, and others, who would come into the land to begin to instill the values, the culture, and the ways of Rome in this new land. And the apostle was the one who would reshape that culture, bringing people into alignment with the values and practices of the conquering kingdom of Rome itself. So in the Gospels, it's interesting that Jesus designated his 12 disciples as apostles. You know, they were called disciples, and he had many disciples that were following him in the beginning. But after spending time in prayer... Luke's account says he went up to the top of a mountain. He spent the night in prayer. He came down. And Mark says that he chose 12 to be apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. He might apostello them so that they would heal the sick and they would cast out de devils. They would advance the kingdom on the earth. We read in Matthew 10, verses 1 and 2, and also 5 through 8, he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are, it lists the names, and then we drop down to verse 7. These 12, he set out instructing them and then it continues. He said, go and proclaim and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So this is a powerful thing that the disciples went from followers 
So for the first year or so, they were strictly following Jesus. They were being trained. They were being equipped. They were watching him and observing how to do ministry. And then Jesus chooses 12 that he can begin to work with them more closely. He can pour into them. And then he can eventually start sending them out. But I find something powerful in the New Testament that often we overlook. And this is where the paradigm shift in our day right now must take place. Because God is not only looking for, as I said earlier, a, you know, a new group of, of apostles or prophets, but he's looking to raise up an apostolic people. I want us to look at Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read the first two verses here. This is what it says. Luke 10 verses 1 and 2. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. After what things? If you go back to the preceding chapter, it says that he chose 12 and he sent them out. So after sending out the 12, the Lord's saying, basically, that's not good enough. So he sends out 70 others. And it says he sends them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Now, in this passage, in these two verses, there are three key words I just want us to look at quickly. Okay, the first one, it says, the Lord appointed. He appointed 70 others. So the interesting thing is, no man can do this on his own volition. No man can just say, okay, I think I'm going to do this. You need to be appointed. You need to be appointed by the Lord. But listen to this. The word appointed literally means to proclaim as elected to office, to announce as appointed, for example, a king, a general, to lift up anything or anyone on high and exhibit it for all to behold. So it speaks of God saying, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is my chosen servant. And I've called them and I've set them apart and I am promoting them and I'm even elevating them, putting them on display so that people will recognize that they're sent for me. And how does he do that? Well, he does that by the anointing. He does that by his power being present on their lives. So God sanctifies us. He sets us apart and then he lifts us up so that people recognize the authority and the even the credentials of the kingdom. You know, it says in Acts 2, verse 22, that Jesus was accredited by God. Jesus was accredited by God. The New Living says he was publicly endorsed by God. And it says through signs, wonders, and miracles. So Jesus had the credentials of the kingdom. We know that he wasn't educated in the rabbinical schools of theology. He didn't attend, you know, the Greek uh, schools of philosophy, but he was accredited by his father. He was taught by the Holy Spirit and the anointing that rested upon him, the miracles that accompanied him was clear evidence that he had been appointed by the father. And so it is with us today. That's what God expects of us. And then the second word is Jesus actually says that he is calling uh, us to be sent out two by two. Just as in that day they were sent out two by two before his face in every city and place where he himself was about to go. The word translated sent out there is apostello. 
The word apostle or apostolic is derived from that clearly. And as I said, it means to be sent out properly on a mission, whether literally or figuratively. Then there's a third word. And this is the word I really want us to focus on for a moment. He continues and he says, The Lord said the harvest truly is great. The laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. That the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. That term in the Greek language is not the word apostolo. Rather, it is the word ekbalo. Ekbalo is a Greek word that can be translated to cast out, to drive out, to send out. To compel one to depart, to bid one depart in stern language. The word ekbalo is used in Luke eleven fourteen through 15, where Jesus was casting out demons. Again, we see it in Acts 16, verse 37, when Paul is thrown or cast into prison. And then in Acts seven fifty eight, the same word is employed when Stephen was cast out of the city and stoned. Remember when the Lord went into the temple and he made a whip of cords and it says he drove out those money changers. That's the word ekbalo. So translating ekbalo as a gentle send out doesn't do the word justice. It means so much more than that. So I believe here's what the Lord is saying. As we, as we mentioned earlier, you know, there's a place where God's people in the Old Testament in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, were accused, particularly the apostles, of turning the world upside down. And I think we're living in a day where there are a lot of things right now in the church need to be turned upside down. God is shaking and he's dealing with the old systems, the traditions of men, those things that are not of God. He's restructuring and he's removing things. He's burning up things that are not of him. And he's raising up a new people. He's raising up a people that understand things from the New Testament paradigm. And one of the things that we see clearly is this calling for all of us to be sent out. Now, notice this. The 12 were sent out initially. 12 is a number that represents Israel. And then we see that 70 were sent out by Jesus later on. 70 is a number that represents the nations of the world or the Gentiles. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? There were 12 baskets left over. Then when he fed the 4,000, interestingly, there were seven baskets of bread left over. When you study this closely, the word even in the New Testament that is used for baskets really speaks of a basket that the Jews would use. But the word that is used when he actually fed the 4,000 and there were seven baskets left over is a different word and it's more of the word that the Gentiles would use for a basket. So here's what he's saying, that Jesus has bread to feed the Jews. The gospel goes to the Jew first, right? Then the Gentiles, Romans 1, 16. But then there's this calling to make sure that the gospel goes out to the nation to the Gentiles. And this is the heart of God. The gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a witness to all the nations of the world. And then the end will come. So the Roman apostle was sent out to extend the kingdom 
of Rome into all of the nations of the world. And he would do this through a threefold process. The process was, number one, invade. Secondly, occupy. And then thirdly, transform. There's a calling today for God's people to once again engage in this apostolic mandate of invasion, occupation, and transformation. Of course, I'm not speaking of doing that literally, overthrowing governments, that type of thing. Certainly, there's no violence involved in this. What I'm saying is, spiritually speaking, we are called to invade, occupy, and transform. Jesus said, I want you to make disciples of the nations. I want to see transformation in nations. He wants to see not only individuals saved, certainly that's where it starts, but eventually he wants to see that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on the earth, in the nations, in the people groups. Well, no matter what it is, he wants to see them come to the Lord. He wants to see cities transformed. He wants to see nations come under the governance of God spiritually, that righteousness and justice would prevail, that there would be peace and there would be great justice even in cities and nations today. So in Acts 1 verse 8, remember the mandate of Jesus. He says to his uh, disciples, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? Power for a purpose. Power to be witnesses unto me. Then he says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now the word that is translated there, uh, witnesses, we get our English word martyr from. And the idea is that the power of the Holy Spirit takes such uh, controlling us and, and ruling and reigning over us so that we literally are dead, but Christ lives in us. That people see Christ Jesus in us. It's not just a message we're preaching, but we become the very embodiment. We are the body of Christ, that his presence and his power would live in us, setting us up to be able to advance the kingdom on the earth today. So in Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, during that time, the uh, early church was very successful in bringing the gospel through Jeru to Jerusalem, Judea. But then they really had not ventured out beyond there into Samaria, certainly not into the ends of the earth. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, so think about that. Acts 1-8 is the original commission. But then in Acts 8, verse 1, all of a sudden there's a shift. Things are turned upside down, so to speak. And what happens is we see this persecution breaks out against Stephen. And then it says that the people of God were scattered and they literally were chased out of Jerusalem and they went into different cities, different regions, different parts of the Roman world at that time, initially preaching to Jews only, but then eventually ministering the gospel to the Gentiles. And we see the first major church that was set up was in Antioch in Syria. So what ended up happening, I want you to notice this, it wasn't the apostles who left at that time. It wasn't the apostles who said, okay, we need to go to these places. It was the people. It was the lay people, so to speak. God used them, and they were the ones that went forth and began to preach the gospel. So we see an apostolic people, a people that are sent out. Now, again, the word ekbalo is key here because ekbalo has to be, has to deal with being sent out, being pushed out, being even driven out. And the persecution was the means by which God ekbaloed his people. 
And I don't know what it's going to take for us to to really engage in in this apostolic mission, but God has his way. He ekbalos his people today. There may be situations, relationships, and, 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 you know, even ministries you've been connected with, and and for one reason or the other, God ekbalos you, and he took you out of there because the Lord has a purpose. He has a plan, and he's leading you into new relationships. He's leading you into new uh, connections because that's part of his plan. But all of this has to do, I believe, in the season we're living in, is God is wanting to raise up an apostolic people. A people that recognize they're on assignment for God. A people that realize, even though you may not be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, or whatever it is, you have an assignment from God, and you are called to be a going people. See, God isn't wanting just growing churches. He's wanting going churches. He isn't just looking for churches that have you know a large audience but he's looking for churches where people are being raised up like an army a spiritual army in these last days you know we read about joel's army we see the exceeding great army in ezekiel's day after the breath of god was breathed on the dry bones and they came together and the the flesh and the skin and so on that and god did this thing but there's a sense in which god is trying to raise up a people today to be apostolic once again and as I said, it involves invading, occupying, and transforming. Invading. What does that mean? Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 7. He said, as you go, preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was telling them that when you go somewhere, you say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, he's saying, I want you to drive a stake in the ground. I want you to put a flag here. I want you to claim this city, claim this territory, claim these people, that this place would become his space. As above, so beneath. That his- What's the big deal, deal? Where can you get pizza, bread twists, specialty chicken, and more for just five ninety nine each? Is it at Domino's? He hands off hand-tossed pizza and a marble cookie brownie. He's going, going, going! There's a lot of variety on the radio and at Domino's, too, where you can... Two item minimum pan pizza, bone and wings, and bread bowls will be extra. Ask for this limited time offer. Prices, participation, delivery area, and charges may vary. This kingdom would come here in this city that we begin to recognize is not just uh, our calling just to win some people to the Lord, but to begin to see cities transformed, to recognize that God wants to bring his presence to cities, to nations. He wants to transform them. He wants to bring shaking. He wants to bring purging, and he wants to bring righteousness. And we read the story throughout history when you think about what happened in wales and how there was a sense of god's presence throughout that whole nation in that day god wants his kingdom to go forth and he does this often by establishing apostolic centers in key regions apostolic centers in key regions you know Paul established, there was an apostolic center in Antioch, by, established by Barnabas and, and Paul, which Antioch was, was the capital at that time of Syria. Corinth, Paul established an apostolic center there. Corinth was the capital of Achaia in his time. And then Ephesus, where we see Paul being so effective in transforming the area there. The word of the Lord prevailed. Great miracles. You know, all of Asia Minor heard the gospel. Ephesus was the capital city of Asia Minor in that time. So apostolic centers have a mandate to advance the kingdom. 
and to transform regions and even nations. You see, apostle, a true apostle, is distinguished by the supernatural. There's so many examples of this. You know, we, we see in Paul, in Acts 19, verse 11, how the great signs and wonders, through the hands of Paul, great miracles were wrought or performed. Apostles carry a breaker anointing. They literally challenge the powers of darkness. They bind uh, uh, the powers of darkness. They destroy works of the devil, and they take territories in cities and nations. And when apostles gather together a people, and uh, prophets are part of this obviously as well, when they gather together a people and then they impart and they release an apostolic anointing. And then what ends up taking place is people begin to step into this. They begin to see these principalities and powers destroyed in a region. So there is an apostolic demonstration that takes place. Because the gospel of the kingdom is not in word only, but it's in power is what Paul said. There's miracles, there's signs and wonders, you know. There's, there's a deposing and a dethroning of, of ruling territorial spirits in a region. And we, we see this in, in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus so clearly that even those who, the craftsmen who made idols and how when people turned and they burned all their paraphernalia, you know, how it ended up literally causing these guys to, to suffer economically because people were no longer worshiping idols. So they, they do something. They disempower and they tear down in order that they can build up righteousness in an area. So it's all about invasion. It's all about taking territory. It's all about claiming the land and in the name of Jesus Christ for righteousness to see his kingdom come and his will to be done on the earth as, as it is in heaven. Secondly occupation, to occupy. Apostolic centers a spouse and they enact the culture and the values of the kingdom. They enact the culture, they espouse and enact the culture. Now listen, there's a vast difference, sometimes a big gap between what we espouse and what we actually enact. We might say we want something, but until we actually do it and enact it, then it's just in word. It's hypocrisy. So God wants us to recognize that in this season in which we live, if we're going to go back to our apostolic blueprint, to the foundation of apostles and prophets, then one of the great things we have to do is to make a shift back to what we call the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, many people say, well, the Great Commission is missions. It means to go to another nation, to preach the gospel. In actuality, the Great Commission is much more than that. Because when you read in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, when you read that, that's powerful. He says, Amen. That's very, very powerful. But in the New Testament language, there's actually only one verbal command. We look at go, we, see, we make disciples, baptize and teach. But only one of those four words is a verbal command. The rest are participles. What does that mean? It means the verbal command is what we're called to do. The participles tell us how we are to do it. So the verbal command in the Greek language in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20 is make disciples. That's the commandment. Jesus said, I've called you to make disciples of nations. And I want you to 
do it by going. I want you to do it by baptizing them and by teaching them. And so this is the great commission. It's making disciples of the nations, not just winning the loss. Consider Jesus' example. In John chapter 8, here is Jesus. He's preaching a strong message. And, and people, some people are getting angry and they're getting, they're getting uh, you know, repelled by Jesus and turned off of him. But yet... It still says that there were many people who believed in him as he spoke these words. John 8, verse 30. And then it says in verses 31 and 32, that Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In other words, Jesus was saying, it's not just enough to believe. You believed, that's great. That's the starting point. But now I want you to continue in my word. I want you to abide in my word. And those who have continue or abide in my word are my disciples. And they will know the truth and the truth will make you free. In the original, it literally says that as you continue following Jesus and obeying his word and, and continue in obedience to his word, that you will begin to understand truth more and more progressively. And as you do, you will be released into more and more freedom. So we have many people today that profess to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they struggle spiritually. They struggle with, with identity, with addictions. They struggle with things from the past, and they're not able to find freedom. And the reason for this is they have started off well, but for one reason or another, they've stalled out. They've not continued, and they've not increased in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They haven't moved from a place of making a decision to a place of becoming an active disciple. And discipleship is a process. Discipleship is something that we engage in and we continue to grow in. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 and he was talking about God's plan to build up his church, to bring his church to maturity. We heard a great message last night by Ashley on the topic of maturity, how God wants his church to grow. And that's true. God wants us to grow. God wants us to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. But this whole thing, if we're going to move into that place of maturity and to become the people God wants us to be, we need the fivefold ministry. So it says he gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Then it says, in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and so to build up the body of Christ. Now, the word that is translated equip, there, some other translations perfect, others say prepare. That word is a very powerful word in the New Testament. It actually has three different meanings. It means to repair something that is broken, like, for example, a bone that is broken to fuse it back together again so that it's healed. But it also has the idea of... Um, of resourcing, of providing resources to fully furnish, in other words. And then one of the other examples is actually has to do with bringing into alignment. And so the idea here is that God wants to bring us to a place that's discipleship or equipping, which I believe are synonymous terms, has to do with bringing healing to our lives, repairing what is broken, 
and then also preparing us, resourcing us with the Holy Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, with all that we need in order that we can be released and brought into alignment with his kingdom purpose, that we are to be in alignment with the body of Christ, that we're to be under those who are our are, uh, spiritual leaders. And then as we come into that place where our lives are made whole, and then we move out of that place where we are whole, and we begin to engage ourselves in ministry. We begin to do the works of ministry because the whole church is called to do the works of ministry, not just the fivefold ministry themselves. The fivefold ministry is to equip, to prepare, to bring people to a place of repairing, to a place of preparing, and a place of releasing. It's a very powerful thing that God has called us into that place where we can grow, we can be made whole, we can be healed from the things of the past, the things that have held us down. If we need deliverance, we receive deliverance. But then we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We receive the power of God. We understand the purpose for which he created us, his calling upon our lives, and then we are released to step into that. That is a powerful part. And then we begin to occupy. We begin to see places transformed. So just as the Romans would come in and begin to teach and espouse the values and the culture and the ways of Rome, we begin to teach people the values of the kingdom of God so that they understand what God expects of them as his citizens, as his children, how to live in that kingdom in which we now become part of through virtue of the new birth of Jesus Christ. Lastly, transform. Not only invade, not only occupy, but ultimately they would stay there long enough until there was actual transformation of that city, of that region. And so today, when we look at our churches, when we look at our ministries, what do we see in many places? We see churches that are a mile wide and an inch deep. People are not being transformed in many places. I thank God for those ministries that are effective, that they're really seeing people set free and and they're coming into Christ-likeness. But all too often, that is not the case today. And it's not just an issue in the Western nations. We travel to many places in the world and we see the same thing. People show up, they're faithful, but they're still bondage. There's still strongholds. There's still things in their lives that they're struggling with. God wants to bring transformation. Discipleship is the process. But what does real transformation look like? What does it look like for an apostolic church that is engaged, apostolic people that is released, and they begin to, in their city, in their area, to begin to engage in this process of of invading, of occupying, and then eventually transforming. Well, I think one of the things the Lord really wants us to learn in this season in which we live, you know, in certain places where large gatherings are still not happening, and in some church, some nations, some cities, you can't even have small gatherings right now. But ultimately, here's what we need to understand. It's not about the metrics that we used to use. The metrics that we used to use, the way we measured success and our effectiveness in ministry previously was like church attendance. How many people do we have in our services? What is our, our, uh, you know, our, our income from tithing and, and offerings and so on? Building size. You know, these things are obviously uh, important. We want to reach as many people as possible. Having money enables us to do more ministry. 
and uh, having a great facility can be very helpful when we are gathering large crowds, for sure. But ultimately, there's a greater way of measuring our success. It's a kingdom way. I call it kingdom metrics. The first kingdom metric is this. Are the people that we have brought the gospel to and we are discipling, are they being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Luke 6.40 says the student is not above the teacher, but when the student has been perfectly trained, he will be like his teacher. When somebody has been perfectly trained or discipled, again, that's the same root word for the word equipped, that person will become more like Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 says, those whom the Son, those whom God knew he, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of Jesus Christ. So we are to become more and more like Jesus. Are they becoming more and more like Jesus? Are they ever increasingly being changed in his image and likeness? Are they walking like Jesus? 1 John 2, 6 says, If anyone says he abides in him, let him walk even as he himself walked. Our Lord said in John 14, 12, that the works that he did, he wants his disciples to do. He said, look, he said, you guys are to continue in this and you to do even greater works. He's speaking about signs and wonders when you read it in its context. He's saying, I've called you, my disciples, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the kingdom of God, to raise the dead. I want you to step into the supernatural. I want you to bring the anointing to bear on life's challenges and to see miracle signs and wonders happen. I've called you to do that. So the kingdom message is a message of equipping people, raising up people to be apostolic and to go in that apostolic authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to see transformation in people's lives. And then lastly, are we reaching and equipping others who don't know Jesus, particularly among unreached people groups? Are we equipping and releasing others into their destiny, into their ministry, into their calling? These are the metrics of the kingdom. We're living in a time right now, I believe, more than ever, we have been afforded an opportunity to equip people, to equip the saints, to rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit, to step into their calling and their destiny, to become a veritable kingdom force on the earth that will bring invasion, that will occupy, and will bring transformation to the nations of the world. God no longer wants the church to sit passively in pews. He really never did want us to. He didn't want us just to show up on a Sunday. He didn't want us just to show up, but to grow up. God wants us to become like Jesus Christ himself. And we are called to raise up and equip the people of God. There are many leaders in the body of Christ that are afraid if they equip someone, if they raise up others, they might lose control, they might lose power. Maybe that person will start another ministry or, or they may become more popular. You know, we see that in the New Testament. Barnabas raised up Saul. And in the beginning, Barnabas, it was Barnabas and Saul. But then after a while, the language changes and it's now Paul and Barnabas and Barnabas fades out of the picture. It doesn't matter. God has called us to raise up and equip other people in this season. And as we do, as we multiply others and we raise them up to walk like Jesus and to do kingdom exploits on the earth, we're going to begin to see transformation. We're going to be able to see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Because we're living in a season and a time when God is saying, I'm recalibrating, resetting the church. We need to adopt a New Testament theology 
that recognizes it's the kingdom, that recognizes the role and place of fivefold ministry and the equipping and raising up of the body of Christ to be an army. These are the days in which God is saying, now in our individual nation. See, a lot of times we send great ministers of the gospel, maybe an evangelist. We, go, we send that evangelist to a nation to do big crusades and meetings. But now that's even changed. We're not able to do that anymore. And, and, and people and indigenous people, people, locals and, and nationals, you know, are looking for that person to come like they have some special anointing. We all have access to the same spirit. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We're living in a time when we need to pour into the next generation. Where we need to raise up people within their own culture. To be able to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. To see miracles and to see transformation. And I believe we're in a time when borders are closed and nations are not accessible. Where we need to revisit this. It's not about us doing all the ministry. But it's about us equipping and raising up others to do the ministry themselves. So that we see a multiplication of what God has put in us into sons, in daughters, into others throughout the world. And I believe that we are in a time when God is saying we have to move away from the denominational ways, move away from the things that are holding the church back and to realign ourselves with apostles and prophets and, and the fivefold ministry, particularly with apostles. Because apostolic centers and apostolic churches, they're both in the New Testament, were always connected to an apostle. Even when they were led by local elders, they were still connected to an apostle. And all churches... And all believers should be connected to an apostle for covering. Apostolic centers and churches, when linked to apostolic networks, create synergy. They create cohesion for greater ministry effectiveness. And this may be a new way of thinking for some of you guys. This may be a new paradigm. Maybe you said, look, I've never seen this before. I want to challenge you to search the scriptures, to look at what I've shared. Is this biblical? Is this the way of the New Testament? You know, we started off by saying, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He said, you make the word of God of no effect by your tradition. Think about that. Elsewhere, the Bible says, quench not the spirit. That a man can make the word of God of no effect. That a woman can make the word of God of no effect. That a human being can quench the spirit. Yes, we can. It's a terrible thing. But God wants us to move into a place where we not only... One witnesses miracles. We see a few people, but we understand his ways. We come into that place of great discernment and understanding so that we recognize what God has intended from the beginning that his church become. Shifting from human tradition, coming into a biblical foundation, a New Testament pattern that is built on apostles and prophets as the foundation, Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. I want to pray for you. And I want to pray this evening that you would begin to understand your place in God's body. In his house, of faith, the household of faith, and your role in seeing the kingdom of God advancing. You may think, well, I don't really know. I don't understand. That's okay. You may say, well, I've tried to do things in the past or it just hasn't worked out. You know, I, I wasn't given an opportunity. Maybe you're in a place where you're not, um, you don't have the opportunity. Listen, you need to pray in this season. I believe God is doing new things. He's reconnecting and he's realigning people with 
apostolic and prophetic ministries. Great networks, great leaders like Dr. Russ, Pastor Mae, who have that calling, who pour in and raise up others. They have a, a proven track record, a history of doing this. And rather than just people being passive and giving and showing up, no. It's all about equipping and raising up others. You cannot afford to sit on the fence any longer. You cannot afford to be passive. If you've been hurt, if you've been subjected to, you know, religious persecution, and I'm not talking about just by people of other faiths. I mean, even in the church, those who don't understand the ways of the kingdom, this is a season for you to understand that perhaps God is re positioning you he's reconnecting you often what seems as men's rejection is actually god's redirection god is putting you into a new place and he's positioning you where you can flourish and you can grow as painful as it may be come on now i know what i'm talking about when i say this but god ultimately has a purpose and a plan and it's all about realigning us see the bible says this the foundation are apostles and prophets jesus christ himself is the chief cornerstone the cornerstone was the first stone that was laid and it was square and everything was plumbed to that cornerstone and if we had not plumbed to the ways of christ to what jesus did if we want to know how to do ministry we need to follow the example of jesus he's the cornerstone so he built on apostolic and prophetic he built that way and so we have to come into alignment with this today let me pray let me pray for you lord we thank you father in the name of jesus that you have called us lord You've called us into a season and a time where you are realigning. You are realigning us with the chief cornerstone. That you're calling your church to be built on apostles and prophets, on the apostolic and the prophetic. We thank you, Lord, that you are raising up a church of people in this season that will do great exploits on the earth. That will see the kingdom advance in the power of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders following. That will see the works of the devil destroyed that will see people liberated and territorial and ruling spirits come crashing down, disempowered. Lord, I thank you that you are shaking not only the systems of this world, but even as we mentioned in the very beginning when we were referring to to Hebrews chapter 12, you are not only shaking the systems of the world, but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realms. That you are doing something powerful That you are doing something, Lord, very purposeful in this time. And I pray for every person watching. I pray for those who have been hurt, those who have been wounded, those who have stepped aside from their calling. And Lord, I pray that you would restore. I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would begin to give vision and clarity and passion back to people today. I'm not just talking about those who were pastors. I'm talking about people. Maybe you served in children's ministry. Maybe you served in worship, whatever it is. You were called, you were serving God, but something happened that caused you to go off track. Something that caused you to become discouraged and perhaps even bitter. This is a season to allow God to heal you and to mend you and to reconnect you with the right people. God has a place. God is removing people from the system of Saul and he's connecting people with those who have the heart of David. It is my prayer that as you have heard this message, it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will work in your life and he will bring you back to a place where he can build you up and reconnect you once again. I pray for every person watching right now that is dealing with sickness, that is dealing with pain, with with things that are that are debilitating. 
and frustrating. I pray in Jesus' name, Father. I thank you for the power that you've given to us and the authority. And if you're sick right now, if you're dealing with a situation, you know, you, you may have an issue with, with your heart right now. I just feel there's somebody right now that you have an issue with your heart. Your heart has is, is become greatly weakened. And I want to speak to you right now. I want to speak to anyone. Just, just put your hand on, on your chest right now. Just put your hand on your chest. And I want to pray. And you just come into agreement. Father, I thank you that you still do miracles. I thank you, Lord, that you care for your people. But, Lord, you also want to reach the unreached. And, Lord, I pray no matter who is watching this right now, no matter where they're at, I command every sickness and disease. I command pain to go, whatever is the cause of this pain. And I speak healing and I speak wholeness in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that the power of your Holy Spirit would just come and abide upon people right now. I pray that your spirit would just would just hover over those who are watching this broadcast right now. And Father, they would be encouraged, they would be refreshed, and they would be, Lord, stirred up to walk into the place that you've called them to in a deeper relationship with you, Lord, a deeper place of intimacy with you, Father. We give you the glory. We give you the honor, Lord Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing in this time. We thank you for realigning and repositioning and reconnecting people and the right leaders and the right places, Lord God. We thank you for what you're doing because you, Father, are faithful. You, Father, have been faithful in all ways. And I pray for those who've been even um, rejected and rebellious. You've even been rebellious. I just declare in Jesus' name, even out of your rebellion and your rebellion toward authorities, I pray in Jesus' name that you would humble yourself and you would make things right. I pray that you would realign with those that God has placed you under and whom you've re- walked away from and rejected the covering. I pray in Jesus' name because there are some people who've had genuine covenant relationships and you've walked away from those relationships out of rebellion, out of stubbornness, whatever it may be. And God is calling you to humble yourself and God is calling you to reconnect. You know who you are. It wasn't a toxic situation. It, wasn't, it was because you were corrected and you were told something that you didn't like, you didn't agree with. But I just pray in Jesus' name that you would receive correction because things have not gone right with you ever since. Ever since you walked away, things have not gone right. There's not been an open door. You've went from one place to another even, or you've gone nowhere. After a period of time, you just sat down and said, what's the use? God wants you to go back. Go back, reconnect, make things right. And I just speak that over your life right now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I declare that in Jesus' name. Receive the correction of the Lord who loves you. And he says, I do these things because I know what is best for you. And I care for you. And I have your welfare in mind. Father, we thank you for that. We declare that in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for new mantles, new callings, new mandates. We thank you for more and more people. Uh, Lord, not just the younger generation, but all ages rising up, Father, to say, yes, Lord, I want to be used by you in these last days. I don't want to just be passive. I don't want to be a spectator, but I want to be active and I want to be engaged in the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for raising up an apostolic people in this season, in this day, and the plans that you have for your people. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Father. You're so good, Lord. We love you, Lord. You give us peace. You give us joy. You give us a burden for the lost, Lord. Your love compels us to continue, even when things have been difficult, to press through, Lord, 
to keep going because, Lord, we know you love people and you're not willing that any should perish. So we thank you for the privilege to be able to engage in this harvest, this call to be engaged and ekbalod even if necessary, Lord, out into your harvest field. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. Bless. Give him a clap offering. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Look forward to sharing again tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about the ecclesia of God. What does it mean to be the ecclesia of God? God bless you guys. Thank you.